Great Expectations, the personal finance podcast. Mortgages, savings, pensions and more with Nick Coffer and Rory Joseph. Rory, it is so nice to see you behind a microphone again. It's been like an eternity, Nick. It, it's been a while. I feel like we should maybe give it a quick bit of background here because you and I, for many, many years, we, we did a slot on the BBC talking about mortgages, pensions, savings, inheritance. It was very popular. It was. You dished out a whole load of advice. If memory serves me right, much of which based around not making the mistakes you made when you were 18, is, is that a fair summary? Yes. I mean, I, I kind of was trying to lend uh, my poor experience to allow others not to go down the same route. Do, do share what happened. Well, when I was 18, I had the fortune or misfortune of inheriting some money as I was going to university when my main priorities in life were well, let's let's just say music yes. and um, girlfriends. So as a result, I left university um, knowing far more about music than I had and with, with no money at all. Yes, exactly. Look, we've got loads to talk about today. We're going to talk about equity release. We're going to talk about mortgages. Might do a bit of Bitcoin later on. Uh, we'll look at what's in the news. We'll look at some, some good products as well that, that, that you want to recommend. Fundamentally, though, I wonder whether it's, it's never been more important to have a podcast around personal finance. When you look at the current climate, this is more important than ever, isn't it? I think it is. I mean, I think we're in a, a strange situation where everybody has been impacted in very different ways by by COVID, by the pandemic, by the increase in living costs, by fuel hikes. Um, but I think everyone is consequently much more conscious of the money they have or don't have than they perhaps have ever been before. Obviously, mortgages are a big part of what you do. How are lenders responding to this? Because... I know a number of people for whom paying the mortgage is now becoming a serious issue. Actually being able to get those monthly payments out when you look at the spike in the cost of our gas and our electricity and our petrol, are the lenders being understanding? I think lenders are being understanding to an extent. I mean, I think, you know, I was saying to a colleague of mine earlier, for many years, we've benefited enormously from the fact that the lenders have been using affordability metrics based on how much things used to cost. So it would be a bit rich as moaning too much now about them being a little bit more scrupulous and possibly a little meaner in how much they lend, purely and simply because what they've done is updated the cost of living and say, oh, hold on a moment, maybe £30 a month isn't the right amount to pay for your gas for a family of four, or maybe £60 a week doesn't quite reflect your food bill costs. So I think lenders are being perhaps tighten what they'll lend having said that they're also more understanding so you know they accept that many people have recently become self-employed over over the pandemic they're looking more at things like benefits than they ever were before so i think it's a it's a bit of a mixed bag really but certainly you know and without wanting any form of bias here it's probably a time where mortgage advisors have become more popular um than they ever have before because people suddenly realise that actually it's no longer a question of going online and saying who's got the lowest rate because actually the lowest rate is great but there's a very high chance you won't qualify for it. And how worried are are the lenders? Say you're in that situation where where funds are low, you're not very liquid of a month and you can't make that payment. How understanding are they being? 
I'd say they are understanding to an extent. I think what's reassuring for probably anyone who's listening to this podcast is they do see this as being a short-term bubble. So most lenders, almost without exception, when you speak to them, I spoke to um, a lender from one of the big banks earlier today, and they said, we've suddenly moved to suggesting to our customers that they might want to think about a two-year fixed rate rather than a five-year fixed rate. Because? Because they anticipate, I mean, if you think about it, I had a customer recently who arranged a mortgage at a tail end of last year, and they got an absolutely fabulous five-year fixed rate. Off the top of my head, I'm going to say it was about one and a half percent fixed for five years. Almost free money at that point. Almost free money. Absolutely. And actually, that particular client had money in the bank, but it was cheaper for them to borrow it because they'd struggle not to get a one and a half percent return on it. So suddenly fast forward to today, I did a search for a client today who wanted a five-year fixed rate, no particular challenges. It was a straightforward mortgage and we were looking at in excess of 3%. So rates have basically doubled in a six-month period. Now, what's really interesting is historically, two-year fixed rates are cheapest and five-year fixed rates are more expensive. You kind of pay a premium and that makes sense. What's weird at the moment is two-year fixed rates and five-year fixed rates are almost identical. And that is because everybody seems to believe that rates are going to be on a bit of a sticky wicket for the next 18 months or so, but people are talking about inflation. Is that a euphemism for they're going up? They're going up. I think we've probably pretty much got to where they're going to. And also the reason they're going up is more complicated than you might think. So we've got lots of lenders struggling, as many businesses are with staff. They got rid of a lot of people during COVID. And a lot of people thought, well, actually, if I can now work from home rather than having to travel into London every day, why don't I do that? So they're struggling to take people on again. So lenders are really short-staffed. Conveyances are really short-staffed. You know, the the, the legal system is in a terrible state at the moment. Um, So you've got really slow processing issues. You've also got the cost of living crisis. You've also got too few people putting their properties in the market because everyone's thinking, oh, things are a bit unsettled, so I'll stay put to just wait and see what happens. You know, times of uncertainty, people don't particularly want to make that huge house move. So consequently, this really weird sort of bubble, and we've got really high inflation for reasons that aren't UK-based. They're primarily down to the cost of energy. So the general feeling is within the next 18 months to two years we'll hopefully sort out the employment side of things we'll hopefully get inflation sorted out we'll start making some of our own energy again and perhaps be less reliant on markets like russia and the ukraine and at that point in time we'll probably return to more normal rates so lenders aren't particularly worried they just need to take people through this period from our perspective as advisors what we're trying to do is explain that to people because when people feel a bit uncertain their immediate reaction is oh well do you have a 15 year fixed rate please (laughs) and it's actually you know when prices are as high as they ever have been pretty much it's a bad time to buy something like that we'll talk about borrowing in the next episode actually but it leads me to an important question you're saying that people are moving less of course uh, people are now working from home they might perhaps be wanting uh, wanting to build a an office in their garden or going up into their roof because they can't afford to go from a two to a three bed or a three to a four bed are you finding that a lot of people are remortgaging to unlock some cash in order to make that that change Absolutely. And that's in kind of both what I call the mainstream market. So, you know, uh, the people who are borrowing money with a view to 
paying it back at some point. Um, and also in the equity release market, where older people are making changes to their home or alternatively are thinking about things like helping their children onto the property ladder. And that leads us perfectly on to equity release. And we'll do that next. Rate Expectations, the personal finance podcast, is brought to you by JLM Mortgages, leaders in independent mortgage advice. For more information, head over to jlmmortgages.co.uk or call 01462 455 655. Rate Expectations, the uh, personal finance podcast with uh, Rory Joseph and myself, Nick Coffin. We just touched on equity release uh, a few moments ago. This is the heart of what we want to talk about today, uh, mainly because I don't understand it. <laughs> In recent years, this notion of equity release has, has become big business, hasn't it? It's become really big business. And also, I think the main issue with equity release is actually it's got a huge reputational issue. And its reputation is based on the equity release of the past rather than of today. I wonder whether there's this inherent mistrust of equity release, whether whether your clients, whether consumers are thinking, do you know what? The banks are having to find new ways to, to lend money and therefore make money because lots of people have paid off their mortgage. That generation, I guess our parents' generation, have paid off their mortgage. They are no longer providing income to the banks. And I wonder whether the mistrust comes from that. Is this all a little bit of a ruse? I think, I mean, I think actually equity release mortgages in their new format. I, as I said, I don't particularly like the phraseology. I'd rather call them interest only mortgages where your payment is optional. It's slightly less catchy. It is slightly less catchy and it would take up a lot more space on a flyer. However, that's what they are. Nearly So if we look at the equity release mortgages of the past, there was a type called home reversion where you basically sold your house for next to nothing to an equity release company and they rubbed their hands in kind of uh, um, excitement at the prospect that you might drop off the perch a year later. They might have bought your £200,000 house for 20000 And these were some of the scandals that resulted in companies having to pay huge amounts of money in fines and redressment. Absolutely. And I think the problem was with them also that people didn't fully understand. I mean, we live in a very different world now. It's a world of huge transparency compared to what we had, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. So that was one part of it. So they were actually called home reversion schemes. The other thing is interest rates were very, very high. Thirdly, is they often had high fees attached to them. And fourthly, and probably most most importantly, they also had very, very high penalties. A modern equity release mortgage is different. So number one is they will lend you the money. The interest rate is much more reasonable. We were actually under 3%, but we're probably now at 35 to 4%. Rewind a moment. They will lend you the money. So you've got your house yeah. and you've got, say you've got a house, you've paid it off and there's £350,000 worth of equity in there. What happens next? So what a lender will do is they will look at you and the worker thinks to themselves, when are we likely to get this money back? Uh, you're basically saying when you're going to die. Exactly. And if it's two of you, when are you both going to die? So the important thing is all this is about second death. It's when the house basically becomes vacant or if perhaps you end up going into residential care when the house becomes vacant. So what they're interested in is how long it's going to be until they get their money back. 
So let's say on £350,000, they'll lend you anywhere between about 25% of the property price up to about 55% of the property value, depending on your age. So they'll give you that lump sum. Exactly. There's also variations where you might say, well, I don't need a massive lump sum, but I'm a bit short every month. And there's options where rather than taking a lump sum, you can actually take a regular income. And they work rather well because you only pay interest in the money you've borrowed from them. So to start off with, you're paying very little compared to taking the big lump sum initially. Thirdly, is you're able, if you want, to make the monthly repayments. So you'll quite often find that you've got a couple where perhaps they've got good pensions, but most conventional mortgages will say, well, we're not going to let you pay the interest because we don't think you can afford it. Because when person number one goes, person number two's income is going to half and they won't have enough money. Does this answer why it is not better in some situations to simply remortgage? Absolutely right. Yeah. So, so there's lots of different variations. And then what and then so you've got optional payments of interest, the interest rates and equity release are nearly always fixed forever. So we don't need to worry too much. You know, if somebody took an equity release mortgage six months ago, they don't care whether interest rates have gone up or down because they can look on a spreadsheet and say, if I never pay back a penny until I'm no longer here, I will owe exactly this much to the penny in year seven, in year 11, in year 14. And it allows you to budget, know what your nut is and move forward. Exactly. And the payments are optional. So quite often people say, well, fine, let me borrow that £100,000. And what I'll do is I won't make any monthly payments at all. And then I'll sort of see how the family finances are looking in 12 months time. And if they've looked good and my interest over the years being three and a half thousand, I might pay off three and a half thousand, which will be like paying all the interest. I might pay off two thousand. I might pay nothing at all. I might even pay 10,000 off and pay an extra little bit off to reduce the capital balance. So you've got generally almost total flexibility with how you pay it, but they're optional repayments. And the reason equity release companies don't care about your income is because they know you don't have to pay it every month, then your income becomes irrelevant. Because they know the house has value and come what may, when you go into care or you pass away, they will then be able to sell the house. Yeah. And the way in which it works actually is the house passes to your beneficiaries. So the children still inherit the house, but they inherit a house with a mortgage on it, just like they would do if you were unfortunate enough to with pass away younger. Yeah, with the debt. And depending on the company, you get then 12 to 18 months for them to sell the property and pay off the mortgage. Or if one of them wants to keep the old family home, they can take out a mortgage on it themselves and effectively remortgage it into their name to buy off the equity buy off the equity release. So basically raise the 100,000 that's owing on it. Who is it best suited to? You mentioned they're perhaps releasing some money uh, that parents can pass on to their children. Is that where you're seeing the market? Are, are there tax benefits to, to doing it that way? There, there can be. So we we tend to, so there's lots of different reasons. So historically, equity release was taken out by somebody who couldn't afford to pay their gas bill. It was a way of getting someone who was desperate a bit of money. And that's why they were willing to take out something that was very uncompetitive. Because you cannot buy milk with bricks. Exactly. That's a good good catchphrase. Eh? <laughs> However, what happens now is we will tend to find that people will do it for one of, I guess, mainly three reasons. So number one will be they've got an interest only mortgage. They always already expected, you know, maybe they took out a mortgage back in the 90s. They always thought, oh, well, I'll probably sell up by the time I'm 65, 70, pay the mortgage off, move down market. And I was thinking, well, actually, I'm in, I'm 65 and in great shape. I want to enjoy this lovely house. Now I've actually got some time to do the garden. Yeah. I don't want to sell it, but but I've got the mortgage company banging the door asking for their 150000 back. That's one big group. 
Group number two are people who want to help their children out. So they're saying, well, or even grandchildren. So mo- I think the seventh biggest mortgage lender, it could be the sixth, is the bank of mum and dad. But often mum and dad don't have a few hundred thousand pounds in their pocket, but this is where they're funding it. And the third reason is because people basically just want to do some bits and pieces to the house. My one, one I did many years ago was for a couple and they said, look, we love our house. They lived in Central Hitchin. They said, we love our house in a lovely area. We've been here for years. We know everybody. We've thought about moving. It's really expensive. Our only issue is now mobility, getting up and down the stairs, basically. Why don't we borrow an extra £50,000 and put a lift in? like a proper rip out of the staircase, proper kind of posh glass fronted elevator type thing. And then what we've got is a bungalow on two levels. And actually with a posh lift. With a posh lift. And it probably won't devalue it. It might even add some value. And would they be the kind of client who perhaps wouldn't downsize? Because I, I would imagine there's a lot of appeal in downsizing. You sell your property, you buy somewhere cheaper, you take the lump sum difference. If it works, it's perfect. The problem we've got is it doesn't work for many people. So I think the difficulty is because house prices have gone up so much and different types of properties have gone out in different ways, if you think of your downsizing dream of, I don't know, a two-bedroom bungalow with a nice garden... There's a massive premium on this, isn't it? There's a huge premium. So I sell my three, four-bedroom semi-detached house. I pay stamp duty. I pay solicitor's fees. I pay estate agent's fees. I might not even have enough to buy my two-bedroom bungalow. And if I do, I probably won't have any money left over. So, so, so the appeal of downsizing is not as great as you'd think? Well, I think it tends to work where people do that kind of let's move to Suffolk and they move from a, a, a commuter belt town like Hitchin um, to the Suffolk coast where property cheap prices are cheaper. But for many people, and bearing in mind that we all live for a rather long time now, what they're doing is they're leaving behind their friends, potentially their family, everything that's familiar at a point in life where perhaps those things are really important to you. So consequently, downsizing does have you know it can work in the right circumstances but for many people it just doesn't and people previously didn't really have an alternative and now they do so circumstances do change you've taken out your equity mortgage your equity equity release mortgage and you've got to move to the coast perhaps you've become a grandparent or you've got to go and look after a child with that equity release mortgage are you not trapped there forever? No. So these mortgages, uh, you know, as I said earlier, and I'll say it probably more times than you can imagine, it, optional interest-only mortgages, just like a normal interest-only mortgage or a normal mortgage, you can transfer it from your current house to the place you want to buy. So there's no problem there. Also, many of them now have fixed penalties. So for example, let's say in your early 60s you take out one of these by the time you're in your early 70s the grandchildren are there you think it'd be lovely to live near the beach you know your circumstances have changed you want that bungalow mobility is not so good there's a good chance you'll have no penalty whatsoever for paying off your mortgage because most of these are fixed penalties which reduce over time so again that side of things works quite well and also there's lots of extra little protections in there so as an example let's say you buy us a couple so unfortunately I come across many people where we take out an equity release mortgage where they're a couple, one person passes away and suddenly the other person's agenda changes. So they wanted to stay in this house because they've been there as a married couple for many years. Now it's too painful. Now it's too painful or it's too big. So consequently, if they want to move, most companies will give you a dispensation that if you want to move within three years of your partner passing away or going into care, again, they'll waive all penalties. So they try to be quite fair. Another big worry I have is, oh, well, I don't want to leave my children with the debt. That's a really classic worry about equity release. 
And first of all, interest rates are much lower than they used to be. So a classic equity release mortgage might take 15, 17, 20 years for the mortgage to double in value. So if we take our example of a, let's do a £400,000 house and you borrow 100000 at 4%. Yeah, I think I can just about do that in my head. So what we're seeing is that debt's going up by 4% a year compound. So it's probably taking around about 17 or 18 years to double. Now, first of all, what do house prices have to do? Well, if they go up by £100,000 in 18 years on a £400,000 house, that's pretty slow price inflation. Your equity is unchanged. Or to look at it another way, you're borrowing 100000 at a rate of 4%. So if your £400,000 house goes up by 1% a year in value, which is enormously less than they've gone up by ever. Do I look glazed over right now? I'm trying you very look, hard to you keep lo- up. You look enraptured. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm interested, <laughs> but I'm struggling to keep up. What you're saying is that, of course, the value of property historically, and will continue to no doubt, increases. And therefore, even though you're borrowing a chunk of money, you can kind of keep up with that debt through the value of the house. Exactly. And if you're lucky enough to live in the southeast of England, where prices historically have gone up rather quickly it's quite possible that actually you'll still see equity growing because your house price will go up more quickly than your equity release mortgage which leads me to the next question because i'm i'm feeling slightly mistrustful here look i've known you a long time rory <laughs> i trust you implicitly i know you tell the truth but you're making this sound almost too good almost too perfect what are the pitfalls for example um could you actually find yourself in a negative equity situation with this kind of mortgage so the answer is yes, but you have to look up for people who signed up to the Equity Release Council. That's kind of the regulatory body. They have a no negative equity guarantee. So if you happen to buy own a property in a part of the world where prices don't go up or actually fall, and you end up living to your 160, and you end up with an enormous mortgage and a house price that hasn't increased at all, and you end up owing a lot more than your house is worth, you will not leave a debt. The mortgage company basically take take the kick on that. So that's reassuring for people. Other pitfalls? Other pitfalls. The, the obvious pitfall, and I probably don't need to say it, is you have a debt, okay? So the downside about a debt is that your kids or your beneficiaries or who you're leaving your money to will get less because your estate is worth less money. Now, if you're pretty wealthy, that may be a very good thing. We've actually done some very large mortgages for older people who've said, well, actually, I'm going to pay lots of inheritance tax. So why don't I take out a big old mortgage now? I can do some other stuff with that money. And then when I die, the state would have got 40% of that money anyway, in inheritance tax, and I've spent it. So, so you know, you can do it as a bit of a tax planning strategy, although that's getting to slightly complicated territory. And, you know, you probably need to be chatting to an accountant about that. Um, but that is the main downside. The main downside is you're basically spending the next generation or the following generation's money. Now, if you're lending it to them or giving it to them so they can get into a property, that's probably a good thing. And I remember one of my favourite phrases was a very a very elderly lady I did an actual release mortgage for many, many years ago. And she said, darling, she was in Kensington, very potter, darling, I'd rather give her the warm than a cold hand. <laughs> And that's how equity release can benefit people. And if that is your attitude, would you rather have a smaller inheritance now that actually you need and will really help you do things? Or would you like a potentially much larger inheritance, assuming that you don't go into care and it all disappears in care home fees in 30 years time when you're in your 60s yourself and have made your life and done what you need to do? 
then it can be a good route. And maybe the nub of this is just allowing yourself to be a little bit selfish. And you've you've reached a point in your life, you've made the money, you've created the equity. Enjoy it during your retirement rather than perhaps worrying unduly about the next generation. Ask the next generation because we tend to try and always involve them if we possibly can. And obviously at the end of the day, it's the person who owns the house who has the decision. But we try and involve them because really they're the ones. And, you know, 90 something percent will say, don't be silly. You know, I'd rather see you happy now. I'd rather see you go on that cruise, replace that car, not worry about the heating, whatever it may be. You know, don't worry about me. I'm just fine. So I think as long as it's an open, transparent conversation with everybody, generally speaking, we have very few objections actually from those who are effectively missing out. Just finally, if I want a mortgage, I know I can go and get it on the high street. I know I can go online. Um, I kind of know what I'm buying. I, I know where to look. I know how to get a good deal. Obviously, you're an independent financial advisor. You'd say, come to you. With equity release, would you say that you're better off with some proper advice? Because it, it seems to me to be a more complicated product. It is. So what I, I'd say to people, do three things. First of all, whichever advice you go to, make sure that they do both normal conventional mortgages and equity release mortgages. And there's actually a small kind of halfway house called a RIO or a retirement interest only mortgage. Make sure they offer all three sorts because if you just go to somebody who just does equity release, guess what? They're probably going to recommend an equity release. And actually it may not be the right fit for you. It might be in five or 10 years time. So see someone who offers all options. Number two is find somebody who is independent stroke whole of market they can look everywhere and also who doesn't charge any upfront fees because the whole basis of this type of mortgage is you should be able to apply get a survey done get to the point where you've got a mortgage offer and then decide whether you want to go for it or not and at that point in time you shouldn't have incurred any costs whatsoever and I think the third thing to probably say is they are more complicated you know you need to think about the impact they can have for example on benefits you know as unfair as it may seem, some local authorities and some ben- some benefits are impacted because I'll suddenly think, oh, you've got £50,000 in savings. They're means tested. They're means tested to a certain extent. So if you're on a benefit which is means tested, equity release can impact on it. Um, you know, it can impact if you take out an equity release mortgage a few months before you go into residential care, the local authority might be rather suspicious about your uh, rationale for mm. taking one out. So I do think you know, there's lots of things to consider. So it's probably something where you have to get advice. And most equity release providers will insist you have advice. They will not let you do it directly. And they will not let you do it in a non-advised way for those reasons. It's a complicated product. And finally, I suppose we're dealing potentially with a vulnerable group of customers. I mean, someone in their mid 50s or early 60s, you know, is probably still pretty hale and hearty, hopefully. Um, But it's quite potentially people can be in their 90s, you know, um, and taking out these products. And there's worries about capacity, vulnerability, do they know what they're doing? Are they being influenced by family members? So, you know, there's lots of extra checks and balances, really. Before we finish, I want to look at uh, the markets and products that you might want to recommend. I should just say, if you've got any specific questions for Rory and you fancy some free advice rather than having to pay him, uh, you can drop us an email, podcast at jlmms. Have I got that right? Yep. Podcast at jlmms.co.uk. Um, pop us your question and we'll uh, try to cover it in the next episode. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast as well because we are going to be doing this again we are 
Maybe. There we are. <laughs> uh, podcast at jlmms.co.uk. Right, Roy, I just want to have a quick look at the market sure. b- b- before we finish up. Um, I was thinking now's a good time to uh, invest in some Bitcoin. Have I got that right? <laughs> My uh, all-abiding rule from after being 18 is don't invest in anything you don't really understand. Now, I've had people talk to me about blockchain in frankly uh, baffling detail. I don't understand it. So I think you invest in it in the same way as you invest in a, a bag of chips or a or a spin a spin on the roulette wheel. So you don't touch it? I don't touch it. See, I was going to say, can you explain it to me in 30 seconds? Because I don't understand it. What I do know is there's a massive crash at the moment and people who thought they had become paper or digital millionaires are actually now finding themselves with huge debts and I read a heartbreaking article I think it was in the Guardian at the weekend around people who are checking into clinics um, because they, they'd become addicted to the the game of Bitcoin and they were checking their account every 10 seconds and they've lost everything and and it's actually devastating lives so you're saying don't go there yeah I mean I, I you know my view as someone who's uninformed is I'd see it in the same way as gambling so if you want to you know, pop down to the races and put a tenner on the favourite, then do it. But you do it in the basis that you can afford to lose the tenner and probably will. And if you treat it in that way, then that's fantastic. I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of people who see it as a route to riches. And as with most things in life, there's no such thing as an easy route. So uh, three or four products, Rory. what should we be looking at in the market right now that is of interest? Okay, so I think... Can I just say about this? This is the fun bit of not being on the radio because <laughs> we, we do you remember we couldn't do this. We, we simply, you know, and you say... There is, A-lender. Yes, yeah. there is the bank in red. You know the ones I mean Spanish <laughs> name. So go on, you can do this now. Well, what should we be looking at? So I think at the moment there's, there's, there's a couple of interesting things going on. So the first thing I'm quite interested in at the moment is offset mortgages. They've kind of fallen off the horizon. I don't know whether all of the listeners will know what they are, but effectively it's when you have savings in the bank, which you balance against your mortgage debt. Now, when interest rates on savings are still so low, but mortgage rates are higher, if you can, say, borrow money at 3%, so say you borrow £100,000 at 3% on your mortgage, to buy your home, but you had £50,000 in savings, which you may need access to at some point, you pop that £50,000 into an offset account and you only pay interest on the debit balance. So effectively, what you're doing is saving 3% and half of your mortgage. I mean, that can't be a bad thing. And people don't talk about offset mortgages, but I think we're now beginning to turn those people lucky enough to have got through the last few years without too much collateral damage. We've turned into a nation of people who actually are paying off debt rather than taking out new debt. I think the the levels of repaying of loans, repaying of credit cards is higher than it's ever been before. We're reducing our consumer expenditure because I think those people who had those sort of things really saw how painful it could get when things went a bit wonky back in 2020. And the banks are not thrilled. And the banks are not thrilled because that's where they make their money. So offset mortgages, really like them if you're someone who has savings or if your income is over your expenditure, which I know only applies to probably a few people these days. But those lucky people, they're a good thing to talk about. The second thing I'd like to pick up on, I think, is have a think about fixed interest rates. 
because I know we had a very brief conversation earlier about the two-year versus five-year argument. So historically, we've done, and most mortgage brokerages and most lenders have loved five-year fixed rates. The government like long-term fixed rates. We like long-term fixed rates. Because? You've got stability, you know where you are. If you're renting and your landlord said, hey, Nick, would you like me to fix your rent for the next five years? You say, oh, absolutely, I would because things tend to go up. So five-year fixed rates have always looked very, very attractive. However, if we do believe we are in this inflation bubble type scenario where things might change in a couple of years, then actually, if you're going to buy a really expensive debt now... Do you not want something where you've got the ability to relook at it in a couple of years? So I think rather than default to five years, have a look at a two-year deal. It may or may not be the right thing for you. If you're on a very tight budget, you know, really kind of squeaking at the end of every month, then probably security is more important than anything else. I think we're done, Rory. It's been so nice to be back behind a microphone with you. I know. It's been it's been too long, Nick. I- I'd forgotten how much you know your stuff. <laughs> if, if I'm honest, I had forgotten. But no, you know your stuff. You're brilliant when it comes to all things mortgages and we, we going to touch on pensions as well, savings. We, there's so much we can do in this. And I think it's so important right now to make this information as clear as possible so that we can make informed decisions. Absolutely right. It's a it's a good time to kind of get your financial education skates on. Where can we find you, Rory? Okay, so uh, it's uh, me, Rory, at... <laughs> <laughs> It's me, that bit again. It's Rory. me. Just that's all you like, need. That's you know all he needs. I'm going to leave that in, Rory. I'm not even starting that again. If you want to find Rory, just type Rory Hitchin. <laughs> Come on, Rory. Yep. So, where can we find you? So, uh, it's JLM Mortgage Services and also JLM Independent Wealth Management, both at 21A Churchyard Hitchin, um, or Find us on the web, www.jlmmortgages.co.uk. However you're listening, do subscribe and the next episode will pop up in your favourite podcast app. Rory, it's been lovely to have you behind the microphone again. Really interesting as always. We'll see you again next time. Okay, thanks Nick and goodbye.